0: Morning church, just kidding i 'm not preaching with this thing on, but I thought it might be fun to start a, j- a sermon about joy. with a little joke. Good morning, my name's Ashley i 'm a pastor here at Knox, i 'm really excited to be talking to you today about that beautiful passage from Zephaniah, all about the God of joy who sings over us, and we 're in the middle of a sermon series on joy that 's going to go for the whole summer. And there is a part of me that I feel strange preaching about joy in this season. Preaching about mourning into dancing when we are experiencing the pain of the pandemic. When we are experiencing and seeing a revelation of so many broken things in our world right now. But we need joy. Joy is the thing that sustains us for the needed Work of justice and that 's what i 'm going to be talking about today that rescue produces joy, and that joy fuels us, gives us what we need to keep on doing the good work of justice that God is doing in this world as we 're talking about Zephaniah, I found this anti right um, video where he 's talking about joy and he 's this older uh, British or Scottish theologian, I probably should have double checked that, but uh, he's very grandfatherly in his appearance and, and he just, you feel cozy when he talks. And he's this very well known theologian, he just makes you feel cozy. And he's an Old Testament scholar, he knows all about the Old Testament and the Bible. And he was asked, What is joy? And he gave what I find it's like, just a, such a phenomenal answer. He said, Joy is what happens. When God finally does something, people have been waiting for. Joy is what happens when we are rescued. It's the relief. It's the relief. You know, and joy is both personal and collective in an experience. There is a personal rescue that happens, and there is a communal rescue that happens also. And that rescue is when we are snatched from death and destruction. So I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about how that's what we're seeing happen in Zephaniah. Should I grab my Bible here? And Zephaniah is at the very end of what is called the Old Testament. And I know a lot of you know this stuff, but if you're new to the Bible, I'm just going to give you a really quick orientation, like, who is Zephaniah? What, what's going on in this passage? And Zephaniah, just as a side note, would be a great name. Like, if you're expecting a baby and you're trying to find, like, a really unique name, Zephaniah might work for you. So, Zephaniah comes almost at the very end of what's known as the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the story of God and his people before Jesus. It's the love story and the rescue story before the really important moment of Jesus. And then the New Testament, which starts at the book of Matthew, is the completion of God's rescue plan. It's saying, I've come down to rescue you. God made a human person and he came down into the dust with us. And all of the New Testament is telling that story of Jesus come to rescue us with his death and resurrection. And then everything that happens because of that. And the really, the really cool thing is that we're also in that story. We're in all the chapters being written about what happened because Jesus came. So we're a part of this story, um, and I just I love that. I love that we get to, when we're reading the Bible, we're reading about a story that's about us. So we're in the Old Testament here in Zephaniah, and a lot of the time in the Old Testament, God uses people who are called prophets when he needs to say something to his people. When he needs to like, get their attention, he'll, he'll find someone who listens to him, and he'll say, can you, can you send a message to my people? It's a little bit like prophets were God's Twitter. Okay, that's what happens when you let millennials preach. We make Twitter jokes about prophets. Um, so Zephaniah is one of God's prophets. And God needed to speak to the people, to Israel. So his people at the time we're going to call them Israel. That's what they're called. That's their name. Israel are his people. Judah is another name. It's just, if you're reading the first two chapters of Zephaniah, because you're going to want to after we find out what's happening at the end here, you're going to want to go be like, "What what is happening in chapters one and two? And I want you to know what's going on. And what's going on is God's people have gone way off course. They have totally forgotten, a lot of them, what it means to be rescued by God. If you read all the parts of the Old Testament leading up to Zephaniah, you'll see God rescuing his people over and over again in his great love. But even though that is true and has happened, the people, they just conveniently started to act like they didn't know that. And they started to do religious ceremony just for fun, not because they really meant it. And they started to oppress people. Even though they had been oppressed before, they kind of seemed to forget about it. And they started treating people the way they had once been treated. They started to hoard wealth and not care about the poor. And they started to treat their workers unfairly. And they started to be mean and exclude and and, and, and to act not welcoming towards strangers and outsiders, which God was very clear, like, you need to do that well. You need to welcome them in. And and they were just chasing down every religious fad. They were like, oh, this idol, that seems great, and it seems like a quick fix for my issues, so I'm going to worship this idol. Or, oh, you know what? this This little, like, religion over here says that I can do whatever I want, so I'm going to, like, bring sacrifices there. And so God's people were acting not correct essentially. They were just acting like they didn't know who God was and that God hadn't rescued them. So God says, "I need to talk to you." And he brings Zephaniah and he says, "Zephaniah, I have a word for my people." I'm, you know, paraphrasing. Like I assume that's how the conversation went. I don't actually know. We can ask Zephaniah in heaven. God says, "I have a word for my people. Will you say the following to my people?" And so that's the first couple of books, uh, chapters of Zephaniah, is Zephaniah saying, God sees you, God sees the evil that you are doing, and he will not stand for it. There are going to be dire consequences for the way you are acting, for the injustice that you are doing, for the fakeness that you are having in church. It was temple worship back then, but I'm translating for our modern ears. They're like, you're being so fake In church and God is not okay with that and he describes these terrible dire consequences that are going to happen as a result perhaps that sounds familiar sounds like maybe a world we live in still even though it was a really long time ago So God's anger and him saying, your religiosity, no more. Him saying, I will not tolerate you running around seeking power and being greedy. But then at the very end of Zephaniah, which is what we heard Kia read for us, there's this command, sing, O daughter Zion. Sing, O daughter Zion. You're kind of like, what? Why would they sing? They just heard that they're in huge trouble. (laughs) Like, Why are they singing now? And it's because as we read on in those closing stanzas of Zephaniah's prophecy, it's because we find out that God is coming to rescue them from themselves. And he is coming to turn away their enemies. And that those who have been hurt, those who have been oppressed, those who were humble and looking for God throughout all that mess, God is coming to rescue them. And that's why they should sing. Because restoration is on its way. And then in verse 17, it describes how God's going to be when he rescues them. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice with over you with singing. God's rescue produces joy, even in the God himself and then verses 18 and 20 really flesh out for us what what God's rescuing joy will look like it doesn't stay kind of you know in our for our imaginations like oh I wonder what that's going to look like no God speaks in the first person I, and he tells us exactly what his rescue is going to look like you can read in verses 18 and 20 with me God says I will deal with all who oppressed you. Justice. That is a word of justice from systemic evil, like the economic disparity that Zephaniah called out earlier in the book, like the xenophobia that was called out earlier in the book. Then God says, I will rescue the lame. That is justice for those that society marginalized, ignored, devalued, dehumanized. Justice for them. Then God says, I will gather the exiles. Justice for those stolen from their homes. Homelands restored when God comes to rescue. Then God says, I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. Do you know what God's rescue does? God's rescue restores the humiliated to a place of honor. When these things happen, joy is produced. When God rescues, when he makes justice happen in unjust places, the command is to sing. And this great thing happens where God sings over us. In this closing chapter of Zephaniah, as justice and restoration and goodness are promised, there's this conversation of joy happening. The people are singing out in joy and relief. Thank you. Thank you for freeing us. And God is singing over them. His justice has caused him to sing joyfully over them. I love you. I have come to rescue you. Notice, though, that joy is not produced separate from suffering. There isn't, like, once God has rescued, it's not like, okay, pretend all the bad stuff never happened. Sweep it under the rug, never talk about it again, because now it's okay. That is absolutely not what is happening here. God isn't about pretending that everything is hunky-dory, and there's no trauma here from those awful things that happened. God is not an avoider. And neither should we be. No. God's rescue comes, as we see it described in Zephaniah here. God's rescue comes and lays bare what is evil and what is broken. It drags evil into the light and pins it down. Doesn't let it squirm away and keep hurting people. God's rescue names the suffering, calls it by name, all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles, those who have suffered shame. He names it. He goes, I know what it is. We're not going to play around and pretend it wasn't so bad. God's rescue names those things. And then God deals with those things. He does what is necessary to undo the chains of oppression and to restore, binding up the wounded, making space for joy, do you know what justice does? Is it makes room for joy. Joy, so much of joy as we're, as we're reading about it here in Zephaniah is the joy of relief that suffering is over. That we are seen in our suffering and we will be rescued from it. And here in Zephaniah, it's talking about these, these big systemic rescues of oppression, of exile, of marginalization, and that is God's promise to us, and that is what Jesus came to do when he came down to be with us in the dust. But we also need a personal rescue. We all need to be rescued. There's not a single one of us that doesn't have something we need to be rescued from, Because even those people in Zephaniah who were praising false gods and who were oppressing people and who were being the perpetrators of evil, they also needed rescue. They needed to be rescued from that greed and that idolatry and from themselves and their poor choices. We all need to be rescued. And this incredible thing happens as, as we learn the story of God in the Old and New Testament, as we learn who Jesus is, because Jesus is God revealed to us. If you've ever wondered, like, I just don't understand God. I don't get his MO. I don't get these stories in the Bible sometimes. Jesus is God revealed to us. So turn your eyes to Jesus. Find out what he said. Find out what he did, and you will know God. And as we get to know Jesus, what we find is that we are invited into God's heart for justice. God says, yes, I am about rescuing, but now that you know me and I have rescued you, come and participate with me. There's this incredible invitation, come and do this rescuing with me. And it's so good. But I want to say, it's very easy to get excited about that and to develop little bit of a hero complex and say like okay here I come I'm gonna come rescue the world it's not about you in, in rescuing others it's not about you you're not the hero Jesus is the hero God is the hero and he rescued you and so when we get to participate in justice the good way to do that is out of an overflow of knowing that we are rescued. I am a rescued person. I need that rescue. And so, of course, I want to see others set free. But I'm never better than. I'm never the answer. I just get to point. I just get to point to the answer. And I get to live like that kingdom of justice that God promises, where he's going to deal with all who oppressed, where he's going to rescue the lame and gather the exiles. I'm going to live like that's true today. I'm going to live like I already see it. And that's going to change how I act and move in this world. And the way, the way to know that you are rescued is to know the joy of your salvation. And that's something that we find in Jesus. To know that we were snatched from death by him. And Dr. Um, William James Jennings who is an uh, uh, African-American theologian. I forgot to write this down, so I'm trying to remember it from memory. Um, he talks about understanding that death is not just losing your life. Death is everything like debt, war, sickness. It's all the things that try to convince us that life is not worth living. It's all the things that try to strangle life out of us. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. Yes, death, because eternal life happens when you you are certain of eternal life with Jesus when you are saved. But it's also being saved from all those things that try to convince us that life is not worth living. Because in Jesus we find freedom. And you know... I want to tell you some of my story. I want to tell you why the joy of salvation isn't just this like churchy thing that we talk about. It's not just a nice idea. It's actually being, experiencing that, like I have been snatched from death and all that tries to convince me life is not worth living. That, that, is, that is the joy that fuels you. To be able to do justice in this world. It doesn't separate you. It's not this personal thing that should make you navel-gazing and not really care. Just be like, well, if everybody just gets saved by Jesus, we don't need to care about the other stuff. No, it produces in you this joy that has to be externalized, and you want to go out into the world and invite people into that. You want to undo injustice and sadness and brokenness. You want to be among it, because that's how Jesus acted. And so I want to tell you some of my story, because since last week if any of you were watching the service last week um the young people the youth band they did this song called glorious day and and it's all about god calling you from the darkness of the grave into life and guys i was a mess i was at home in my living room with my family and my kids and my beautiful children who love jesus i think They were just, like, kind of playing Lego and, like, making a ton of noise. And, like, I really wanted them to get into it. Because, like, I was like, cool, it's it's the teenagers. You should be into this. And I was so distracted. And then and that line about, like, Jesus calls us from death, from the grave, into the light, into life. And I just broke down. Because I suddenly, it's like the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God sending his spirit to be with us. And when we're saved, we get that gift of God with us in his spirit with us, speaking to us, affecting us, teaching us, guiding us, whispering God's love to us. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, remember when you were saved? Remember? And I cried, but it was joyful tears. It was like, right, I have what it takes to face my own life because of that. And I was saved. I was saved when I was 17 years old, when I was 16 years old. Oh, gosh, I'm old enough to not be quite sure. Okay, I was a teenager, <laughs> end of grade 11. And I was lonely. And I, I had grown up in, I, I grew up in a wonderful family. I want to make that very clear. I have a wonderful family, and I'm very close with all the people that I'm going to talk about. And we're talking about things that were, not things that are. And in the way our family was back then, we hadn't had a revelation that Jesus' love is unconditional, not a profound one at any rate. There was a lot of performance. And even church, church didn't feel safe to me. Church felt like a place that I had to be a certain person, and I couldn't actually talk about the loneliness and the brokenness and the interest in sex that was bubbling inside me as a teenager we can talk about that stuff in church i hope we can <laughs> and and i made a series of decisions as a, as a young person a series of decisions that were very much informed by my fear of being known and seen because i was worried that if 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 my parents if the church really knew me and saw me they would say you're a hot mess and you got to get out of here i was convinced and I, I met a boy and, you know, had his own stuff, had my own stuff. And I got pregnant. And I got pregnant and I was so alone. And I know now that I wasn't and I could have told my parents. But I was, I was living in this sphere of lies in this double life. I was so tired. I was so tired. I was so alone. And I was pretty sure I was the worst person ever. And I was pregnant. And in my fear, I made a decision to have an abortion. And it, it is really sad and scary to be 16 years old and going to an abortion clinic by yourself with your very kind, well-meaning 16-year-old friend. One of my girlfriends came with me, and, and we looked like babies. You know, sometimes when you're a teenager, you think you're so grown up, but stepping into that abortion clinic... I knew how baby I was. I had to lie about my age on the form. And the experience of, of losing my baby was a very physical one and a very scary one and one that I did alone. And it, it was like a final act of self-harm that also harmed another life. And I was so depressed afterwards. I was still hiding from my parents. I began to act recklessly, desperately hoping someone would notice that I was not okay. Not okay. And eventually, through a series of very unfortunate events, my parents found out about everything that had happened. You can imagine the devastation. But now as I look back, I also see the relief I felt. It was all finally out there I'm not okay and we tried to fix me my parents we tried we were trying to fix me we we're like you're not okay how do we fix this and I agreed to go to church with them I had grown up in church and I was like no I'll go back sure I'm at rock bottom let's do this and and I went for their sake and I went because I desperately wanted it to be true and then one, one day, it was like a women's conference. I went to this big mega church. We had fog machines and lights, and I loved it It spoke to me. I had, I had good friends there. Um, and we were having this women's conference, and these famous women preachers were on stage, and they were talking about how broken they were. And they were telling stories about being women and, and feeling shame and feeling like they weren't allowed to be who they were. But there they were. In all their healed glory, talking fast, talking loud, being big, and talking about the love of Jesus. And suddenly I was like, oh, maybe there's room for me here. And then one lady, she called all the young, all the young women to the front. And she said, in her Australian accent, which I wish I could reproduce, but I'm not going to try to, but imagine it in a, in a really beautiful Australian accent. She said, darlings darlings lift your heads don't bow your heads lift your heads God is the lifter of your heads there's no shame she said the words there's no shame she said lift your eyes to he loves you and I had like dutifully gone down to the front and I was I could not lift I felt a physical weight on my neck I was like there's no way yes everyone I know God God is kind but like what I'm bringing to the table is not acceptable and this, this darling woman, she reached over the stage and she lifted my chin and she goes, you got to lift your head. Someone came after me. Someone came after me to say the chains of shame, the chains that have oppressed you, no more. And I lifted my head. And I experienced God's spirit. And in that moment, I knew something I had never known before, which is Jesus loves me. So simple. I knew nothing else. I knew absolutely nothing else of of worth, except that Jesus loved me. And he he wasn't there to fix me. He wasn't like, oh, this is another hot mess for my fix-it pile. All I felt in that moment, exactly as I was, Lonely, a mess, having done things that I deeply regretted, that I didn't understand, full of shame, full of fear. Jesus said, I love you. You are lovely to me. And oh, church, did I dance. Whew, freedom. For the first time, the chains fell off. I'm going to dance before Jesus now. I don't care who's watching. And here's the tricky thing, is that that's when Jesus saved me. But you want to know it took years. It took years for my life to look anything like a Jesus follower. I I continued to make some really terrible, spectacularly, dramatically awful decisions. (laughs) Because that was my habit. And Jesus is patient. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to slowly call you into life. But the thing that you can know for sure this whole time is that I love you. And he came and he loosed the chains in my life. And over years, and of of just saying like, I'm trying, I'm trying to follow you. I I finally began to to look like someone who follows him. And knowing that I was going to share this story with you today, I know I'm going a bit long, just stick with me. It's just going to be another two minutes here. Knowing that I was going to tell this very personal story this week, I took time to tell my niece and my nephew first, who are teenagers now, because I wanted them to hear it from me. And last night, as I was telling my nephew, his only question, I said, do you have any questions? And his only question was this great question. He said, he said, Tata, that's what he calls me, Tata. Tata, is your story why you became a youth group leader? (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, it is. Because I experienced the joy of being rescued. And oh my goodness, I would love for every teenager to know that Jesus loves them. And to know that there is, that the church isn't going to shame them. Or, you know what, actually sometimes the church does do that. And that's an injustice. And that's that religiosity and fakeness that God's coming for in Zephaniah. All the way back then. And he's, he is not okay with it now either. And I want to say there was also a lot of good people around me in church. It wasn't, it wasn't a simple black and white. It was, it was very complicated and difficult. So there was a lot of good, but there was a lot of bad, too. There's a lot of injustice. Purity culture made me so small and made me think I couldn't ask my questions and talk. And, and shame. Shame about what I had done. Like the focus on sin and not redemption, not God's love, not forgiveness. And so out of, out of the joy of my salvation, I wanted to run straight towards all the people who didn't know yet that those chains did not have to bind them down. I wanted to tell the truth and I wanted to say, you're free. I, I got free. You can be free too. The joy of my salvation fuels me to do justice in this world, to speak up when I see the wrong things. To to fight against cynicism and apathy and to instead say, no, God cares about all of this. And if he cares, he's going to give me what I need to care also, to sustain this journey. The joy of being rescued, it multiplies. You experience it. You sing out to God, I am rescued. God sings out over the world that he is rescuing. I know it's not complete yet and I know that's hard and I know Jesus came and did it but we're still waiting for it to be completed and that in-between space, it's hard. But remembering our rescue gives us what we need, gives us joy through this in-between and it allows us to care and to want to bring justice in this world. In a couple of weeks, Ann Chow is going to talk about joy as resistance. And that's another really important thing about joy, is you can act it in order to resist evil. And I'm not, so I'm not going to talk about that today, but I just want to mention it because it's really important as we're talking about joy. And you know, before we go into a time of prayer, I also want to say that some of you might be listening today, and what you're thinking is, I have no idea what you're talking about, rescue. I've never been rescued, and I don't see any rescue happening in the world. And I get it. If you are oppressed, if you are, if you are the humble one being taken advantage of, it might be really hard to hear those things and to believe that they're true. And so I just want to speak this hope over you. God is on your side, not the side of evil. God is on your side. He is aligned with the struggle, with your struggle, and his promise is to rescue you. And I'm going to make space for you to pray and cry out to him today in that. Thank you, church. Thank you for going on that journey with me. As we're ending now our sermon time, I want to invite you into a time of prayer. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to, we're going to just listen Because I think God is making invitations to people today. I think there are several different kinds of invitations going out. And so wherever you are, in your bedroom, on your deck, in the living room, alone, with people, I want you to adopt a posture of listening. Maybe it's out here, maybe it's surrender. Maybe it's grabbing a pillow off your bed and kneeling. Maybe it's lying flat on the ground. Maybe it's just coming in real close like this. Just, okay, I'm going to listen to God. Maybe it's eyes open. Maybe it's journaling. But I invite you to adopt a posture, a heart and body posture for listening. Because I think God is making invitations to people today. He's always making invitations to people. I just, I have the great privilege of saying some of them out loud to you today. And these are the invitations that I'm going to pray about. The first invitation is, is God inviting you to call out to him for rescue from oppression and suffering and brokenness? Are you one of the people who you're saying, I don't know what that's about and I'm not sure I trust it. I'm going to invite you to just say that truthful thing to God, to cry out to him. Say, hey, the oppression is real here. The suffering is real here. Where are you? Okay. So that's the first invitation. Maybe the second invitation maybe for you is is an invitation to ask the Holy Spirit to return to you the joy of your salvation. That first knowing that you are rescued and loved by Jesus. Maybe you need to go back there and the Holy Spirit can take you there. Maybe the invitation you are hearing is to receive for the first time The unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus and the joy that that produces. Maybe you're hearing this and you're like, I know about it. Or maybe you know nothing about it, but you're like, I would like to. So maybe there's an invitation for you to say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to know that you love me. And finally, an invitation that I think God is always inviting us all to, but maybe he's saying to you in a specific way today is, is God's invitation to you today to be a joy bringer? To be God's hands and feet, bringing justice that produces joy in the world? And what does that look like? Okay, so those are the four things we're going to be praying about. The worship team's going to be playing some music. I'm going to open each time of prayer. I'm just going to leave a little bit of space of quiet. I know we've been together for a while. I appreciate you staying in this moment with us. I appreciate you adopting a posture of listening. So we're going to stay in this worshipful space, and we're going to listen because God is speaking and inviting you today. God of rescue, for all those who are hurting and suffering, and this word just felt hard. It felt like, why not me? Why have you not rescued me? Why have you not dealt with my oppressors? Why have you left me here in this pit? God, for those who you are inviting to say, talk to me, tell me, I am on your side. I invite you wherever you are to just lift up your voice, whether in your heart or out loud, and cry out to God right now. you I can't explain the rest of it but I can say this with certainty God hears you and he is on your side now there might be some of you who are thinking yeah it was great when I got saved but that joy that gives energy that makes me want to like go out into the world and do justice and tell people about Jesus ah." (laughs) Uh, and so I'm going to invite you right now To just say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you can make me remember. You just sing it out. I want to remember, I want to remember. be embarrassed. I'm not a singer, but when the Spirit says sing, I sing. Don't be embarrassed wherever you are, wherever you are. If God says dance, you can dance. If God says sing, you can sing. If God says cry, you can cry. If God says weep with me, He is right there with Don't worry. I know there's some of you worried, but this is about me and I care about out there. God cares about you and that will lead you out there. The joy leads to justice. Don't be afraid. The joy leads to justice. What is happening? How is Jesus and why are we singing? And what is this all about? And I want to tell you, it's about you. It's about the fact that Jesus cares about restoring this whole earth to every good thing, but he also wants to come after you. And he wants to say, I want to restore you. And I see the brokenness in you and the loneliness and the pain. And I am coming for you in a good way, like a loving way. And if that's you, if you're saying like, okay, I want to taste that. I want to, I want to taste the goodness of Jesus who loves and forgives me and calls me from death to life. I want to just ask you, if you're comfortable, if you're physically able, you can go on your knees or you can adopt that posture in your heart. You can just, just be open. I know it's hard, but sometimes putting your hands out helps you to be open. And I'm going to pray this over you. I'm going to pray that you might know that Jesus has saved you, that you are loved, that there are no conditions on that love, that God's desire and heart towards you is from death and all that strangles life out of you into new life. The promises of Jesus in the Bible are for you. And all you have to do is say yes. Just say yes, yes, Jesus. Yes to the love. Yes, yes. And if you prayed that prayer today, you can reach out to us. I'm just going to ask whoever's moderating. Just put a pastor's email address in there. We would love to hear you. We would love to celebrate with you. And we would love to help you figure out what does this all mean? And finally, finally, this last invitation. And this one's for all of us. This one is for all of us. We're just going to ask God right now. Show us the way, Jesus. Show us how to be joy bringers in this world. Show us how to participate in the justice that brings joy. Give us what we need to walk humbly and act justly and love mercy. Open yourself up wide. Maybe God's been speaking to you. Maybe God's been calling to you and saying, there is something that I want you to do. There's a way that I want you to participate in my restoration of this world. And maybe it's felt uncomfortable. It often feels uncomfortable. And I want you to just say it out loud. What's God been saying to you? Just say it out loud. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Maybe it's to speak up in a certain room. Maybe it's to say I was wrong about something and now I need to figure out what the right holy thing is. Maybe it's to put your money where your mouth is and to live generously in extravagant generosity. Whatever it is, only, only God can speak it to you. This isn't about what other people think, ever. It's just about the invitation of God to go from being rescued to participating in the rescue of the world. So we just pray, God, teach us to be joy bringers. Amen.